We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. There once was two little girls who saw, or believed they saw, a thing in the forest by A.S. Byatt, coming up today. Every time I saw it, I wanted to put the swamp thing. (laughs) (laughs) The toxic Avenger. Yes. (laughs) All right, so we joke, but but Penny and Primrose aren't really going through a joking situation, right? They're they're being evacuated during World War II. You, my historian teacher... Uh, what was this like reading it when they talk about how they're traveling and like the signs were wiped out? I, I don't know about you, but like history books always go to different levels of details. When you read this and they talked like they, it was almost like this like mini tour going through the hospitals, going through the towns and, and what what war changed across the landscape. Yeah, I mean, the story is very real. It feels that way, that it's ingrained in probably something that by went through herself and I looked up a little bit about her life because it just it seemed like it was not just fiction. And indeed, she did move uh, after uh, the bombing of London in in uh, in Britain. Uh, so she don't I don't think she went through exactly what maybe the girls here, uh, Penny and Primrose went through. Uh, but her family did leave. Now, Penny and Primrose are ripped away from their families. And that's very dramatic. So uh, it, it, this is not an autobiographical tale, but. There, there's some truth here, I think, that gives a lot of realism to what people went through after the Blitz, the, the bombing of London by uh, Germany in World War II. And I think that it gives you a lot of empathy of what children went through, because a lot of times when we study World War II, what do we look at? Big battles, war heroes, the leaders, you know, uh, FDR and, you know, Mussolini and, and Hitler. We don't think about the people. And nobody ever really thinks about and talks about the children. And they're the ones that are going to have some of the most long-term lasting effects negatively on their lives. And I think this story does a great job of representing that in the the mental capacity of PTSD on kids. And I think it engages on a very interesting level. Because the text has them kind of like walking through these towns with the... City names being wiped out. They're like, well, we're never going to find our way back. Just like Hansel and Gretel, right? So even the way Byatt layers fiction into her fiction and then calls into question reality or at least our interpretation of it, our fantasy and how that influences us. It's a very complex tale. That This is not one that is difficult to read by any sense, a joy to read, but it is so deep that the layers in which Byatt pulls off in the story are really next level. Yeah, what what truly is happening to Penny and Primrose from each of their different perspectives, right? When Penny goes through this, and then Primrose goes through this, and then they they go out into the forest. Well, even even before that, even before that, like to to layer more onto the fantasy, just before we get there, 
Alice, did did you pick up that Alice, A-L with a Y, is, to me, it was kind of this, again, just like Hansel and Gretel evoked fantasy into reality in this fictional story. You have Alice, which may be a, a reference to Alice in Wonderland. Have, have you read Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll, first of all? Uh, I've read the first book, yes. Okay, so you know how like the the writing in terms of the vorpal sword and the swishy swashy and the thwicky thwacky, like you'll yeah. notice that as you're just getting to when the girls go off into the forest, the writing that Bayat chooses even kind of evokes some of that alliteration, that play and, and creating words that bring out imagination even in the reader. What I looked at as Alice of that reference, kind of Alice in Wonderland is, if you think of Alice in Wonderland as she's going through something traumatic and losing her innocence and she's trying to cope with it and she's coping with it through these fan fantasy mechanisms. That's the kind of the same thing happening here because in the story, they don't allow Alice to go with them because she's too young but Alice disappears, and that's, I felt, the representation of the, the Penny and Primrose lost their innocence. They lost their Alice. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I like that, too, because when we look at children being introduced into the world, having to, to lose their innocence, to your point, it is so confusing for me when I would, let's say this, when I was growing up, Entering into the world, the adult world doesn't make sense. Like, why do you do all these complicated things? Like, why why is it so difficult to just do this? And there's something about having to give up a certain amount of, of this childhood joy of simplicity in order to enter into the world of process, to enter into the world of logic. It's like you, you throw away imagination almost to accept like this rigid process, a broad stroke, I, I know. But but you get that sense too with these girls, right? Right? Because they they enter into this this world of this forest where they meet the thing, right? And the thing has such a strange description in terms of the rubbery, loose face, almost like it was put on a turnip. Uh, all the things that it was made out of were, I think, most of them were kind of man-made. It talked about how it trampled about and avoided large trees. It it destroyed everything in its wake, but it it didn't know where it was going. It couldn't hear or something like that too. How did you how did you first react to this monster? At first, I thought that the girls were imagining it, but it felt like it was too real for them to be just making this up. And I thought, man especially when they start to describe it kind of like as a worm. A worm is, I think, one of the first creatures as a young child that you interact with, right? Because when you're little, you're down on the ground, you're digging in the dirt, you know, you like playing in the dirt, you put everything in your dang mouth. And I feel like a worm is one of the first maybe creatures that a lot of us play with. You know, you may play with a dog or a cat and stuff, but I don't know, your parents would be like, no, no, you know, don't don't let the big dog or cat around the child because, you know, they scratch them or hurt them. But nobody's going to take a worm away from a little kid. You're going to play with it. You're going to pull it in half. It's still going to be alive when it's in two halves, like the, the monster in the story. So I thought, is this just a representation of something bigger that they're imagining, uh, that they're blowing out of proportion, a lot of, like we do as a lot of time as children, that, that we take something that's simple 
and we make it exponentially more complicated as we become older, like you said, as we're thrust into adulthood, which these girls have been because they are children that are living through one of the worst events in human history, ripped from their families, and now they're trying to cope with each other. That, that's tough. That, 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 there's so much there. Have you ever had that happen to you when you're little, like a moment that you just can't, you can't rationalize, like, you know what I mean? Like uh, there was a moment when I was walking up the stairs when I was, I mean, I had to be under eight cause I know I moved to my first home when I, when I was eight. So before that we lived in this town home and my parents had turned off all the lights. It was dark and I was young enough to be terrified of the dark. I ain't going in no dark, right? Like, like why my mom turned off the lights while I was still downstairs. I don't know. But I was running upstairs and like I was to this day, like like at the time, I thought a monster was like grabbing my leg. Like I, I just yes, froze he and was. fell down. I know, I well, believe you. To to this day, I, at the time, I didn't know what was going on. Today, I backwards rationalize it and say I was just scared. Like it was the fear paralysis. But were but you at the time? At the time, it just felt so real that there was something keeping me from getting upstairs, right? Like, like what is reality? And there's even that quote in this story, though, what are dreams if not life itself, right? Because the girls, when, when they leave the forest, when they leave out of there, first of all, what happened to Alice? I don't know. It's like Barb from Stranger Things. <laughs> Who knows what happened to her, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but... We have this question of all the kids are playing when we get back. Nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is the mental state of these two girls, right? The the, the trauma that they think they may or may not have experienced together. Well, I think like your story, I I have a similar story. I was about 11 years old and I remember I was coming home from a friend's house. It was dark and nobody was home. My sister was away. My parents were away. And I was going to the house by myself, and I know that there was a ghost or something in there. And I saw it go across the window, and I was scared. And I went down to one of the little uh, town restaurants, and I was, you know, I told the owner, and he could see I was visibly upset. And so when he he set me down, left me there, long story short, he took me home, walked through the whole house with me to assure me that there were no monsters or ghosts or anything, because I knew there was one. And I think we try to rationalize those things as children, and I think that's what Penny and Primrose are doing, because I think children are closer to the supernatural than we are. As adults, we get further away from it, and if supernatural things are real, we'll always try to rationalize them. We'll always try to you know, explain it away, and I think the story does a great job of showing how children— they don't just explain things away. They try to work through it. They try to think through it as if it were real. And that's what Penny and Primrose are doing. Okay. I actually hadn't thought about that till now because th- through this discussion, we're talking about how this, this loss of innocence, right? When you look at how both these girls lost their father shortly after, and they can almost like barely remember their father, which is terrifying to me as a dad, like, like you're going to remember me, right, bro? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but Primrose's mother remarries and has five five kids, and Primrose struggles with school and, and, and struggles holding these odd jobs and such, like kind of like flights about. Penny withdraws from life. Like I'm sorry, Penny's mother withdraws from life, 
and Penny becomes a child psychologist and loses weight. So like we get this idea that that Primrose is almost falling apart or not. I don't know. The mother wasn't dealing with the trauma. So is that what Primrose is doing? She's avoiding the trauma. She doesn't want to think about that dang worm or the turd or whatever it was. And she tries to like run these <laughs> odd jobs. But Penny, don't we get the feeling that she's trying to face trauma and the fact that she starts working? She's the one that worked with kids, right? Like she's the one that worked with kids. So she must yeah. want to help people get past this because that's the problem that she had is I think what we're led to believe. Are we products of our parents? Do we just replicate what our parents did and make their same mistakes? Do we try to rationalize mm. things mm. that the par- our parents have done to us or or lack thereof, um, like in Primrose's case, where she feels, I think, neglected, um, and and she she has this, you know, traumatic moment in her life, and then it doesn't seem to matter. Like, did she talk to her mom about this? Her mom's got all these other kids to care for, and now she's on her own. Uh, and she's had this, you know, dramatic experience of the war. Now she's had this dramatic experience with a friend that she doesn't have anymore to support her. There's so much there. And then Penny, going through this also alone, turns more scientific, right? I feel like she turns, you know, more to, I'm going to explain this away through rationalizing it with science. And I think that a lot of us do that. So some of us, we turn our back on everything, and some of us will try to look at it and analyze and dissect every little moment of our lives to make sense of it. And maybe we can only do that through helping others. And that that's kind of what happens in the story is the girls are trying to help each other as we see the time skip that'll happen. Do you think that when we look at these girls, you're absolutely right. They, they, they went crazy different ways. But if we yeah. look at their life events in terms of the horror of being escaped, like being an evacuee from London Same. during a war. Yeah. If we look at the horror of going into the forest and being exposed to a shared traumatic event of this monster. Yep. Same thing again. They both lost their father. Same again. Right. They lose their mothers. Right. Same it, again. It's, it's like they have shared trauma, but have completely different ways that their life evolves, different ways of how they handle it. There's almost an element of, I feel like we're, we're seeing how trauma can happen to us. And maybe like the stoicism argument is we can't control that. We cannot control everything, but we can control how we react to it. We can control what but we can do you? as a result. Maybe that's the point I don't know. Of the story. I, I think, I think that might be the question. Yeah. I think, oh, I think that's totally the question of, can you control this? Because these girls go through the same thing and it's that nature versus nurture. Well, nurture is completely out of the picture because they've gone through the same experience. So it's nature and they're obviously making very different choices in how to deal with all of these traumas that have been thrown out them through lives. And I think both make sort of the wrong choices because they never rely on each other. They never mm. strengthen their friendship, and that's what they should be doing. And I think that's kind of the lesson here is that many of us don't rely on our friends. We we don't tell our friends we our problems, and we don't confess you know our our issues and and rely on them and get support from them and tell them we love them and we miss them and we need them. We don't do that because if Penny and Primrose had done that, maybe they would have been better off. Oh, that's a really great look. Hey, I love you, man. Let's just take I this love you too. To say that. All right. All right. Now back back to the story. We do have the time skip, as you said, and they get 
they, they, they just so magically decide to take this tour the same date because plot, right? We got to get these girls back together. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I think there is maybe a meta commentary there about how uh, shared trauma might bring people together. There, there's, a, there's a meta commentary there. But these girls, they look at, this is what I thought was powerful. That, that book, the medieval book that was there. Again, there's that fantasy thing, right? Like this Arthurian yep. legend and, and how it permeates reality. But Slapping across the face. The, the fact that their monster is in that book, right? Like, mm. like, I think there's, I don't think you're supposed to take it as like, oh, they read this book and it scared them. I don't think that's the way you're supposed to take it. I think you'll notice the title of the story is The Thing in the Forest. What the heck is the thing? We're not, we're not even going to name it. And that's what these girls have, have gone through life doing is not naming their trauma. And then all of a sudden when they read this book and they see the worm, the English worm, it gets a name. It gets a backstory. We start to understand it. It's only like once we fully embrace and name our fears, name our trauma. Yes. Can we really deal with it? I think sometimes. Or not deal with it, I think, in their case, because I feel like both make the wrong choices at the end of how to deal with this trauma. If you don't if you don't acknowledge it, then you can't face it, which they sort of do name it, and then they acknowledge it, but they still end up not doing it either way. I don't know. I feel like they both made the wrong choice in the end, or maybe they made the, the choice wrong for themselves, and they made the other choice what they thought their friend would make. Like Penny makes Primrose's choice and Primrose makes Penny's choice. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it does. And here's an interesting kind of like thing that I think shocks a lot of people is a museum. It's not a place that just presents facts. Right. Most people are like, what? Of course it is. You're off your stories, record. right? It is an interpretation Oh, facts. Yeah. And you know this as a historian, right? Like, like how yeah. do you get a verifiable source of what, what was real, what really happened? And you know, as a historian, that testimony, it ain't enough from one person. Like, right? Like you usually, especially if it's a controversial element and you have multiple people contradicting each other, well, how are you going to get to the truth? Right? Like when we start talking about what are sources of truth, what is verifiable? And these two girls are in the same situation I was. How do you verify there was this invisible monster grabbing you? How do you verify there was a turd monster in the forest <laughs> made no, out of all the these? thing, Una. <laughs> well, it was made out of all these man-made things. It trampled. It smelled a lot like trauma to me in terms of the, the things and horrors that we create. But how do you verify what's real is, is, is what I think these, these two girls have struggled with their whole life. And it's because of this meeting, they set up the date, they don't go on the date. And instead, I think it's, talk to me more about your theory about how they need to rely on each other. Because once again, they meet, they agree to go out to dinner, but then neither one goes out to dinner. And instead, they each try to face the worm monster again, but alone. Yeah, it totally bummed me out. Uh, I thought that, why, why are they doing this? I feel like they were purposely setting each other up for failure and I guess they thought maybe if I go it alone, it'll be more real. Or if I go it alone, it won't be real. Because if somebody else sees it, then it will be. Um, because you know how always there's 
there's this very, if you're in a movie or there's a book or something, a show, whatever, and there's something that happens that's out of left field, like you said before, and I look at you and I'm like, Una, did did that just happen? You're seeing that, right? You're seeing the <laughs> giant monster. I'm not the only one. And if you say yes, then I know I'm not crazy and it's real and I've rationalized it now and I can accept it and I can move forward. And for some reason, the girls aren't doing that. Uh, And and again, I think it's that lesson on that, uh, you know, a true friend would help you through any situation, no no matter how crazy it would be. And uh, ultimately, I think that, you know, Penny and Primrose aren't true friends, which is really, really sad. And it's kind of a heartbreaking ending. Uh, and maybe that's the true horror of it, not the thing, but the the lack of friendship there. Can, can we can we differentiate them, right? Like, is it possible, like when we look at Primrose, when she went back, she she thinks about Santa. She thinks about these fantasies, like what's real, what's not real. And she decides it doesn't matter what's real or not real. What matters is what's in my mind. The whole Descartes, I think, therefore I am. The the only Ooh, thing that matters is what's of, of... Well, remember like Talon Ukbar by Jorge yes. Luis Borges? It's it's the idea of that, that group of individuals where the only thing that matters is what is real in their mind is kind of what Primrose comes to represent, which is a complete flip because earlier in the story, if you remember, she was the one that was traveling job for job and it... it it gave you this feeling that she wasn't all there or connected, but it's her acceptance of this fantasy, her acceptance of the fantasy of this trauma that I feel like she starts to get her life together a little bit better. Right. She starts telling children's uh, children, these stories that apparently then she doesn't want these children to sleep at night, telling them scaries <laughs> worm <laughs> yeah. stories. Yeah. But when you compare that directly them. to, you compare that directly to Penny who. I think she lost it at the end. I don't know. What What are your thoughts? Because Penny to me goes into the forest like a second time. And uh, I think, I think it breaks her. I think it breaks her not being able to logically process it and being unable to do that. She fails to accept her trauma. Agreed. I think that you think of it as this way. You have that friend that's all crazy in high school. And then there's the one friend that is all about getting good grades. And then they get to college and they flip. And the one that was getting all good grades is like, I don't need good grades anymore. I want to experience life. And so they start to party and have fun and and experience life. And the person that was partying in high school now realizes that, hey, I need to do something with my life. And they start getting serious about getting good grades in school and they flip. And I think they just need that shared experience. They, they need the other side's perspective to, gri- to gain a true grasp on what is reality. What is life? What, what meaning do I have of life? And here, I think it's kind of too late for almost both of them. Uh, I think Primrose ends up a little bit better as she's trying to pass on her message to the next generation. And that Penny has, has been broken and has nothing more to give. Uh, and if she can't rationalize this, then that's it. It's over, uh, which which is you know truly heartbreaking. I think it's it's one of those stories that has that sad ending. So which you know I love, but you know I'm a I'm a sucker for a terrible ending. <laughs> I don't know 
if this is the best story we've had this year. I don't know if this is the best talk we've had this year. But there's something magical in the truth that this speaks to the human experience that I feel like you feel as well. I'm not sure. But this is a story where I'm like, okay, uh, viewers out there, what other AS Buy It pieces do I need to read? Because this was magical. And I don't mean that in the pun <laughs> of the story. I do mean that this was a very intelligent, a very crafted and a very truthful story that I, I just I thought was awesome. When I started thinking about this story overall, and I was going to message you, and I thought, hey, we hadn't done like a little skit thing or some little fun joke, and we kind of used to do those, and uh, we haven't made any videos since I've moved. You know, I could be, you know, Penny, and you could be Primrose, and then you could be Penny, and I could be Primrose or something, or, you know, switch, you know, or change shirts midway, or uh, I don't know, like we pretend we're talking to ourselves in the forest, and I thought we could do some little fun, you know, skit with this. And then I realized that this story is way too serious, that it is too important to talk about friendship and trauma and how important we mean to each other. Uh, that, that isn't something to joke around. And there's such a good meaning with this story that um, it deserves your time, effort, and you should definitely read it and check it out. Because I think that at the end, you're going you're gonna to text message that best friend. You're going to text message that person that means a lot to you that maybe you don't communicate with enough with and tell them how much they mean to you. Plus you'd have to be penny because she's the short <laughs> one. Oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> uh, My name the short has been joke. Una AS by it playlist down below. Thank you for spending time with us. If you are here at this point, subscribe and like, we'd really appreciate it. Peace out. Remember crypto loves Una more peace. <laughs> <laughs>